All right, good morning, everybody. How you doing today? Are you glad you came today? So far, are you glad you came today? Hey, let's give Jordan and Kayla a big thank you. Come on. All right, all right. Hey, get your Bible out and uh, open it up to the book of 1 Kings uh, chapter 21. 1 Kings chapter 21 is where we're going to be landing today. And uh, while you're turning there, let me just tell you, this is a big week uh, for our family. Liz and I celebrated our wedding anniversary this week. And I got her signed up for at least one more year, so that's good. Uh, 33 years. Today, this is 33 years so far. That's pretty good. Uh, I know we got married when we were five. That's why we're so young looking. Uh, we, we were out on a little kind of lunch date uh, this week, and an older man was at our table and, and came by, and, and we told him it was our anniversary. He said, well, we've been married 66 years. And I said, well, you just laughed us, right? He just laughed. But we're, we're pushing on. I'm, we're, we're headed for 66. So that's, that's great. But, you know, uh, it takes work, right, to be married. It takes work to live together. It takes work to, uh, to stay together and to work things out. And, and, uh, and, and so if you're young in that area of life, I got a little, little marriage counseling here for you. Here it is. Uh, sometimes it takes, well, you, know, you, you just have to compromise sometimes, right? You can't always have things the way you want them. You got to compromise Sometimes, for example, when, uh, when Liz wants sushi and I want Mexican, then we have sushi, right? You have, we, have, we have sushi, but we can have Mexican, you know, maybe the next day, you know? If she wants a vacation at the beach and I want to go to the mountains, then we, where do we go? We go to the beach, of course, but, but maybe someday we will go to the, the mountains. So anyway, it's, that's how it works, right? Compromise. Uh, is, a, is a good thing uh, when, you, when you're working in a relationship. However, uh, sometimes compromise is not a good thing, right? If, if you're compromising on your values, if you're compromising God's word, if you're compromising in your walk with God, then compromise is actually a bad thing and not a good thing. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a, a person that was a leader that was known for his compromise. Okay, we are in the series Winners and Losers, and if you're just tuning in, what that means is we're looking at some of the kings in the Old Testament that ruled over Israel, and some of them were winners, and some of them were royal losers, all right? And so, but every one of them has a lesson for us to learn, and so we're learning from the good and the bad, and so today we're going to look at a guy whose whole life was wrapped up in compromise and, and had a, a very a devastating result, okay? And so we want to learn from his life and learn from his mistakes, all right? So why don't you get your Bible out, uh, 1 Kings chapter 21. Hey, the reason why I'm sharing this is because there may be some of you that are dealing with some area of compromise in your life. Maybe you don't, maybe nobody knows it. Maybe just you know it. Maybe you and God knows it. But, 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 but there's some area that you're tempted to compromise or you're in compromise right now and you're kind of ju justifying that this is okay. But, but listen, I, I want this person that we're going to learn from, this real person that really lived, uh, to be a warning sign, a red light uh, to, to not compromise but to go God's way, okay? So with that in mind, let's just jump right into it. First uh, Kings chapter 21, this is the word of God. Sometime passed after these events, Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard. It was in Jezreel next to the palace of King Ahab of Samaria. So Ahab spoke to Naboth saying, give me your vineyard so I can have it for a vegetable garden since it is right next to my palace. 
I will give you a better vineyard in its place, or if you prefer, I will give you its value in silver. But Nabal said to Ahab, I will never give you my father's inheritance to you. Uh, so Ahab went to his palace resentful and angry because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had told him. He had said, I will not give you my father's inheritance. He went down, uh, on, lay down on his bed, turned his face away, and didn't eat any food. All right, stop right there. All right, circle the name Ahab. Ahab is the king that we're looking at today. Ahab um, was, if there are losers, all right, then he's the biggest loser, all right? I, I, would, I would argue that Ahab was probably the worst king that ever ruled in Israel, ruled 22 years in the northern kingdom. As you remember from last week, we talked about how Israel as a nation went through a civil war and divided north to south, and the northern kingdom was a very, um, very polluted uh, kingdom, all right? It was, uh, it, it, it was morally compromised, it was spiritually compromised, it was politically a mess and uh, chaotic, and so he ruled in the northern kingdom, in this very dark, spiritually dark area, and he really was one of the worst kings. In fact, his father before him was a guy named Omri, O-M-R-I, Omri, and he was a bad dude too. In fact, we read in, in 1 Kings uh, 16 about Omri, it says, Omri did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He did more evil than all who were before him. So dad didn't really set a great example, right? Dad was kind of uh, wayward himself, right? But then when you see how bad dad was, well, then this is what we read about Ahab in First uh, Kings 16, verse 30. It says, Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight more than all who were before him. All right, so whatever dad did, Ahab just did more. Whatever, wherever dad was going, Ahab just, uh, just turned it up a notch, right? And I believe that this is true, that what one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. What, 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 what you do in moderation, the next generation often will do in excess. And that's certainly the case when it came to Abraham, that a, uh, a, Abram, uh, Ahab, Ahab is his name. Uh, <laughs> hey, 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 here's a little accountability. If I ever say Abraham, somebody shout out Ahab. All right, you have freedom to do that, all right? That will help me. Thank you, Lord. I don't know what's going on here. Uh, all right, so we, we see here that he's just, uh, he's a bad dude, but here's the deal. His waywardness really kept him from being a leader, all right? He, he, he compromised in his leadership in so many ways. He compromised in his leadership. And this, is a, this story is a really great example. He's got this vineyard. Naboth is this righteous man. He, he's got this vineyard. It's in the Jezreel Valley. By the way, if I could ever take you to the Jezreel Valley, which I'd love to, I've taken some of you, you can stand up on the precipice uh, in Nazareth and you can look out over the Jezreel Valley and it's a beautiful sight. It is still some of the most fertile ground. It is the richest soil. It, is, it looks like a patchwork quilt of farmland. It's just flat and beautiful. Many people believe that's where the Battle of Armageddon will take place. I mean, it's an expansive place. And, 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 and Naboth had this vineyard in that fertile field. And it wasn't far from, from Ahab's palace, okay? And so Ahab is probably bored, you know, he's just doing his kingly things and he's probably driving his chariot around and he sees this vineyard. He goes, hey man, that is so perfect for my vegetable garden. I'm gonna go down there and negotiate a deal. So he goes down and says, hey, tell you what, why don't, uh, why don't I like take your vineyard uh, for, my, for me and then I'll, I'll give you cash. Well, no, or I'll, I'll, I'll give you another one even better. Uh, but Nabal said, no. He said, I'm not gonna give you my father's inheritance. 
Now, by the way, time out. This is, this is a, a good thing. Naboth was doing the right thing because it is actually illegal, according to Jewish law, to sell the inheritance of your father. You can't just sell your, the inheritance that's been passed down, especially not to someone of another tribe. And so he was doing the righteous thing. He was doing the good thing. And, and Ahab was wanting something else in that. And, and, and so what does he do? What does Ahab do? When he doesn't get what he wants, what did he do? He went home and he pouted. He like lays on his bed, turns his face to the wall, won't eat. He's pouting. He's, he's not leading, right? He's pouting. He's not acting like a leader. He's acting like a child. They ever known somebody that's like that? Somebody that maybe they have a high-ranking position in the company or they have some authority, they have some power, but you just say no to them and look what happens, man. It all breaks loose when you tell them no, right? They pout, they get mad, they threaten, they, they storm around, they peel out in the parking lot, they, they act like they revert back to middle school, right? It's like how in the world can you, a grown man or a grown woman, have this kind of position and act this way? And it's because when you begin to compromise in the areas of your life, it doesn't lead you toward maturity. It leads you toward childish behavior. Childish. Want. I want. It's mine. I deserve. You know, that, this kind of thing. He, he was looking more and more like a leader and uh, less and less like a leader, more and more like a child. And that's what was happening here. He was compromising in his leadership, more selfish, less mature, less godly. Compromised in his leadership. Here's another thing. He compromised in his love, in his relationship with his wife. Look, look, look at verse 5. Then his wife Jezebel came to him and said to him, Why are you so upset that you refuse to eat? Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite, he replied. I told him, give me your vineyard for silver, or if you wish, I will give you a vineyard in its place. But he said, I won't give you uh, my vineyard. Then his wife said to him, now exercise your royal power over Israel. Get up, eat some food, and be happy. For I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Abraham. Uh, whoop, there it was. Thank you. This is going to be crazy, all right? This is going to be crazy. Uh, verse, verse 8. So he wrote letters in Ahab's uh, name and sealed them with his seal. And she sent the letter to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth, uh, with Naboth in the city. In the letter she wrote, proclaim a fast and said, Naboth at the head of the people. Then seat two wicked men opposite him and have them testify against him saying, you have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. And the men of the city, the elders, the nobles who lived in his city, did as Jezebel uh, sent word to them, just as it was written in the letters she had sent to them that proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth at the head of the people. The two wicked men came in, sat opposite him. Then the wicked men testified against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth has cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent word to Jezebel, and Naboth has been stoned to death. Now, can we just say that uh, from the uh, outstart, uh, Jezebel is a wicked person. <laughs> Would you agree with that? She's a wicked, she is the, she's the bad girl of the Bible, man. She is she is a wicked person, and uh, she is uh, heartless. 
Who is this Jezebel? All right, you hear the name Jezebel. You somebody says, "Oh, she's a Jezebel." They, you know, that's an insult, even though you may not know the, the story of who she is. Uh, who is this Jezebel person? This is important for you to understand. So let me just teach you a little bit. Jezebel was the daughter of a Phoenician king, who was also the king was also the high priest of Baal, or sometimes pronounced Baal. All right, either one is fine. And and the worship of Baal was particularly egregious to God, all right? The word Baal is translated Lord. And he apparently got his prominence from the fact that this, this God defeated the God of the, of the sea, he defeated the God of the storms, he defeated God of death. Even, they, even though uh, uh, all of that, they think that somehow that every spring he comes up out of the underworld and he brings rain to water the crops. And so they look to Baal, they look to Baal as Lord over everything. Now, he was a frightful-looking god. Uh, he had the, the head of an ox with its horns and the body of a man. So a very frightening-looking figure. He always had a lightning bolt held up over his head, showing his power and his might. And he was worshipped in some very twisted ways. His worship always centered around sex and death, all right? It was always temple prostitution and child sacrifices. That, that is how he was worshiped. Now, you got to understand that this is where Jezebel's coming from. That's her daddy that's setting that up. That's her daddy that oversees all that. That is what she grew up in. That's what she knows. And so when Ahab goes up to marry her to create this alliance between Phoenicia and northern Israel, they had this kind of political marriage, and she comes into his house. She's bringing all that baggage right into his house. Now, Ahab, we already knew, was a bad dude. And we're not saying that he was like super godly, but, but her influence on him was, uh, well, you just cannot overstate it, all right? Listen, who you marry has a lot to do with who you become and even your walk with God. You know, I, I'll talk to uh, young couples that go, well, you know, Pastor Craig, you know, yeah, we're not really eye to eye on spiritual things, but boy, I, we're just in love and, you know, he makes me laugh and we like baseball, so it's going to be fine. I'm like, really? Baseball? You think that's going to get you through? You have no idea what you're talking about. Listen, when you, when you think about who I should marry, you need to think about three things. First off is master. The word master. Who, who is their master? Or do you both profess Jesus Christ? Are you both in love with Jesus? Does he cause you or does she cause you to love Jesus more? Do you have the same master? The second one is mission. Are we going in the same direction? Are we in alignment? Would we have the same mission, the same heart? You know, if he's saying, man, I'm called to go to Zambia and you're saying, well, I'm going to stay here, then, then maybe that's not a good alignment. Maybe the mission is not the same. So you want to say, do you have the same master? Do you have the same mission? And then lastly, mate. Do we, uh, do we, are we compatible as mates? Are we, do we fill each other's uh, weaknesses and do we, do we help one another out? Are we compatible in these things? Master mission mate, that's how you choose the right person to marry. Now listen, if Jezebel were to take that uh, test, she would have failed every one of them, right? And so Ahab was not that great a dude, but he got worse because of her influence. He compromised in his leadership. He compromised in his loves particularly the woman that he married. And here's another thing, he compromised in life. Because of those two things, his whole life was riddled with compromise. Look at verse 15. Then Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death. She said to Ahab, get up and take possession 
of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite who refused to give you it for silver since Naboth isn't alive but dead. And when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got upset. He ripped his clothes. He said, this is wrong. Now, what does it say? When he heard he was dead, he got up to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. He just skipped down and said, all right, it's mine. I mean, this, this shows you how twisted up this guy is. I mean, he had some, like I said, residual understanding of the righteousness of God and what was good and bad, at least from his, you know, some, some lineage of growing up under the understanding of the God of Israel, but, but Jezebel didn't. And as soon as she gave him what he wanted, he didn't care. The, the ends justified the means. There is no conviction. There is no uh, remorse. There is no shock. Uh, none of that. He just uh, went down to plant his little vegetables in his garden and was unmoved that the king who had everything took the one thing this man had and killed him for it. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, says this. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. What he meant is that just one compromise and then another compromise. And yo, know, that one's at work. Or, you know, this one's at home. Now this is in my personal life. This is in my finances. This is how I handle people. Just one compromise on another. And all of a sudden you find yourself on a soft, gentle slope. Down. And that's what happened to Ahab. He just one after another, after another. But his compromise was about to come to an end. Would you look, look what happens? Look at verse 17. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, the Tishbite. Get up and go to meet King Ahab of Israel, who was in Samaria. He's in Naboth's vineyard, where he has gone to take possession of it. Tell him, this is what the Lord says, have you murdered and also taken possession then tell him, this is what the Lord says. In the place where the dogs licked up Nabo's blood, the dogs will also lick up your blood. Wow. That's not necessarily a seeker-sensitive message, right? It's a little hard message. But what I want you to see is this. The time had run out for Ahab. For 22 years, he had had opportunity after opportunity. There had been warnings after warnings. Uh, but now it just continually going this direction, continuing year after year, saying, no, 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 God. At some point, his time ran out. He compromised in leadership. He compromised in love. He compromised in life. Now, listen. Here's the lesson we learned from Ahab. And I'm going to give it to you in two words. And I want these to sear in your brain. Okay? Here they are. Compromise costs. Compromise cost. It costs you to compromise. That's what was happening to Ahab. He was about to pay the cost. And, and Elijah gives him this devastating news of what's going to happen to him. That, hey, your time is up. 
The season of you kicking this cane down the road is no longer. It's coming down to an end. You're going you're gonna to reap what you sow now. And, and look at what he says. Look at verse 20. And Ahab says to Elijah, so my enemy, you found me, have you? And he replied, I have found you because you devoted yourself to do what is evil in the Lord's sight. It's interesting, Ahab, you know, gets confronted and he goes, oh, you're my enemy. How many times have people tried to come up to you and say, look, I love you and I want to just tell you, man, this is the direction you're going. This compromise that you're having, this attitude you've got, man, that's going to take you down the wrong road. They're like, hey, you're not my friend anymore. I don't want to listen to you anymore. You're my enemy now because you're not telling me what I want to hear. When you compromise, all of a sudden, anyone that tells you truth, anyone that's going to speak a hard word just because they love you and they want to help you is all of a sudden ridden off as an enemy. And that's what it was. He just hardened his heart, hardened his heart, hardened his heart. Contrast Ahab to King David. When King David did basically the very same thing, took what one man had, killed him for it. Listen, when, when he was confronted, he was like, against God have I sinned. And he was broken before the Lord, but not Ahab. He was like, man, get out of my face. Man, I don't want to hear you. Hey, you just move out of my way. I'm going to do what I want to do. This is my life. I'm going to live it how I want. And he said, you're my enemy now. And he said, listen, I'm telling you this because you have devoted yourself to do what is evil. That word devoted is an interesting word. That word devoted can be translated, you have sold yourself out. Or it can be that you have married what is evil. Interesting twist with his relationship with Jezebel. He said, but you do, you embraced, man. You sold yourself out, man. You, you gave yourself to these things that are clearly wrong. And you've been warned over and over again. Listen to me. I, I want you to hear me now, okay? God loves you. And he is a God of grace and a God of mercy. And he is patient with you and with me. And aren't we glad that he is patient? The, the wheels of God's justice turn slowly. But if we refuse and refuse and reject and reject over and over and over, there comes a time when justice comes. In fact, in 2 Peter, we read these, these words, 2 Peter 3, 9. It says, the Lord does not delay his promises as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. In other words, the very reason why God hasn't judged us now, the reason why he hasn't judged our nation now, with all the egregious things that are happening now, which he has every right to do, is because he's patient. And he's giving us time to repent, the time to awaken, time to turn back to him. Listen, compromise costs every time. It costs in the boardroom when you're making decisions that yes, they are legal, but no, they're not moral. Compromise costs when you're on that date and you are, you are way going over moral lines and, and you're justifying that, hey, we're in love and so it doesn't really matter. Compromise costs. Compromise costs when you are fudging on that test or you're fudging on your taxes, compromise costs. It costs when you're online and you think, well, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm just kind of doing what, I, what feels good in the moment. This is my stress relief. And, and, and you say, that's okay, but it's not okay. It compromise cost. It costs you when you're on that business trip and you're all alone and nobody knows what you're doing, but God knows what you're doing. Compromise cost every time. Compromise cost. Listen, there was, a, there was a pastor 
named R.G. Lee. He was a pastor years ago in the early 1900s in, a, uh, in Memphis area. And he used to pastor in uh, New Orleans. He had a famous sermon, and the sermon was called Payday Someday. Some of y'all may have heard of that before. That, the sermon, he preached it all across the United States. very popular. This is probably the most popular th- uh, sermon he ever preached. And uh, that sermon is really based on this story of Ahab and Naboth's vineyard. And in that sermon, he tells a true story about when he was pastoring in New Orleans and he had a radio program and he would get mail people writing into him. But he had one particular guy that would write hate mail to him and just say all kinds of vile, terrible things about him. In fact, he said this. um, He said many nasty critical things. He said sometimes he wrote a, a nice line and a nice line was in all the vulgar things he wrote, like a gardenia in a garbage can. <laughs> I kind of like that. You know, he had a few nice things, but everything else was trash. This man always wrote at the bottom of his letters, calling himself the chief of the kangaroo court. Well, some years later, Dr. Lee got a call from a nurse at the local hospital. He said, Dr. Lee, you need to come. There's a young man here that's dying and he wants to see you. And by the way, he told me to tell you that he is the chief of the kangaroo court. Well, that certainly got his attention. He quickly went to the hospital. The nurse took him up to the ward where he was, and of course there, were, there was a large room with many cots, all in this, of, of sick people. But then all the way to the far side in the back corner was one isolated cot. She said, that's him. So he walked up to him, And he was a large man, but now slender because of his sickness. He said probably in his 20s, maybe mid-20s. And this is how he described their conversation. He said, I found myself looking into the wildest, weirdest eyes I'd ever seen. As kindly as I could, I spoke saying, hello, how to do? And he answered in a voice that was a discourteous and furious snarl. More like the voice of a mad wolf than the voice of a rational man. Is there anything I can do for you? I asked kindly. Then his voice lost some of its snarl and he spoke. I sent for you, sir, because I want you to tell these young fellows here something for me. I sent for you because I know that you go up and down the land and talk to many young people. And I want you to tell them. And tell them every chance you get that the devil pays only in counterfeit money. You see, the devil makes promises he can't keep. He'll say, oh, you know, this will make you happy. Oh, this is okay. Oh, you know, the kids will understand. Oh, they'll work out. You know, who's to tell you that you can't do that? Uh, Nobody needs to tell that. Listen, look at who you are. You deserve this. This will make you right. I mean, all these things, the devil gives you all that, but what the devil does not ever, ever tell you is the truth. And that is compromise cost. And usually don't figure that out till way down the road when you realize how high the cost really is. Compromise costs. And Ahab had come to the end of his rope. Ahab had come to the end of his road. It cost for him and it cost for you and for me. Now listen to me. Where this story ends is where the gospel begins. 
Because you see, even though compromise cost, and we understand that now, God sent us a way to avoid that. See, when we were rebelling against God, we were going our own way, we're living our own life, doing whatever we want to do. And even though, hey, I kind of know that's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway, and I'm going to justify that. Even though we were living our own life, that God did not come and bring judgment. God offered his own son, and he sent Jesus Christ to come. And what Christ did on the cross was pay the cost for your compromise. All, here is the innocent Christ on the cross and all your sin put on him, all your compromise put on him and he suffered in your place. He suffered in your stead. That is the gospel that Christ, innocent Christ, bore your sins on the cross for us. He was buried and then he rose again in power the third day and he offers you forgiveness and change and a clean slate and a start over and a new heart. All that is yours in Christ. Listen, compromise cost, and it cost Jesus his life for yours. I guess you can think about it this way, compromise cost, and the cost of compromise is either behind you or it's before you. If you have placed your trust in Jesus, if you said, you know, I acknowledge my sin, I, I, I've done wrong before God, I, I, I know what I've done is wrong, and I need forgiveness, and I need change, and I need, I need mercy. If that is your heart's desire, and you cry out to God, then listen, he will hear your cry. He will forgive you based on what Jesus did, and the cost of your compromise was paid behind you, was paid at Calvary. Paid in full. Man, isn't that good to know? Paid in full. It's behind you. But listen, if you say, you know what, I, man, I don't, get out of my face. I, I don't need Jesus. I don't need anybody. I'm going to live my own life. I don't need some preacher telling me what's right and what's wrong. I don't need some Bible telling me what's right and what's wrong. I'm going to live my own life, do my own thing. Then, my friend, the cost of your compromise is before you. And only you will pay it. So which is it in your life? Is, is it? Is the cost of your compromise, is it behind you or is it before you? That's the lesson of Ahab, the compromise cost, but the message of Jesus is it doesn't have to. He, he paid for it in full at Calvary.